So the app that I'm using to do this podcast to record it uh, prompts you to choose a category for the subject of your podcast, and I chose philosophy because I think it's more it's a more broad category than say religion. But I I do want to spend some time talking about religion. Um, I just don't want all of my ideas to be tied necessarily to to the to religion or to the Bible. And something I've been wanting to do for a long time is um, is a Bible study and and to share kind of some of my thoughts and ideas. I'm not very good at citing sources. As I go along, though, I do want to give credit where credit is due. Um, a lot of the ideas that I'm presenting here uh, come from Jordan Peterson, and if you haven't listened to his lecture series on the psychological significance of Bible stories, I highly recommend it. Just search that on YouTube, the psychological significance of the biblical stories and uh, or of Bible stories. I think it'll work either way. I highly, highly recommend it if you're interested at all in psychology, philosophy, religion, or any of those things. Uh, he does a really good job tying everything together. Um, the first thing I want to do is give you a little bit of background about myself and my own personal religious journey. I was raised Christian, uh, like a lot of Americans, and I think I reached an age when I was a teenager where I began to take a lot of the Christian language for granted. Um, I knew the answers. I could regurgitate, you know, the the correct answers. Uh, if somebody asked me, you know, what it meant to be a Christian, I would say, oh, it means that you're saved. And then you have to ask the question, well, saved from what? You know, what does it mean to be saved? Oh, well, saved from hell. Uh, it means that you've accepted Jesus into your heart. Okay, well, what does it mean to accept Jesus into your heart? Oh, it means you've made him Lord of your life. You know, and, and you can go on and on. And I think anybody that's familiar with, with Christianity, with modern Christianity, pretty much gives the same answers. And, and they lose meaning, especially to a young person who grew up with that because you don't you don't really know what it means except Jesus into your heart. Okay, well you're not talking about your physical heart, you know. So so then what what is the heart? What does it mean? Oh, well it's it's your spirit. Okay, well what is the spirit, you know? And and churches today do a a pretty poor job, I think, of explaining these things and and defining those terms. And I've noticed that the gospel is typically spread through fear and not love because it's the idea that if you don't do this that you're going to suffer for all eternity and uh i don't think that's a very effective way well it's effective in in it's effective in the sense that you gain followers and that you gain you grow a congregation uh but it's not effective for the individual's personal spiritual growth and i think that's what's most important um, you know, the, a lot of times the Bible is approached with a very dogmatic lens. You know, they take everything so literally uh, to the point where people argue that the earth is 6,000 years old. And and uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to jump ahead and, and get into all of those things right now because I want to I want to stretch this out and, and discuss each thing as it comes up in Scripture. Um but this approach that I'm going to take is is far from dogmatic, as far from dogmatic as, as you could get. And I want to compare also the biblical language to other mythology. Um, a lot of people use the word myth to indicate that something is untrue. 
and that's not what I'm trying to do here. I think, I think what I'm trying to say is that it's a different type of truth. So, for instance, let's take science. You know, science is, I think, the most advanced way or the most advanced method that humankind has come up with to observe and to categorize the natural world. Um, and basically, all we're doing at the end of the day, I, and I had this, this debate the other night with a, uh, with a very intellectual atheist, um, and, and he didn't agree with me, but he couldn't really disprove or, or debunk what I was trying to say either. Really, at the end of the day, all science is is naming things. And his his argument was that no science is about making predictions and then trying to disprove your theory and you know by uh, you know debunking your predictions. But at the end of the day, it's like, well, well what what predictions are you going to make? Because ultimately, you can't explain how anything works. All you do is observe the parts, observe the processes, and name the parts and processes. And so you have a reference point when you're communicating with other people. And when you do that, when you name something, you're basically creating an abstraction. Uh, for instance, if I said the word tree, you can visualize what a tree is. Now, I don't know exactly what you visualized, but we have enough common ground to where we can both agree on what I mean when I say tree. Uh, I don't know what type of tree you visualized. I don't know um, if if you're thinking of, of maybe a an animated tree, you know, or, or whatever, you know, and then the utility of the tree, uh, is going to be subjective as well because it's different things to different people. It has different uses, different functions. Um, and, and that's part of why meditation I think is, is such a, a helpful practice too, because it, it removes utility, it removes function, it removes language and you just observe and you exist and you, you interact and, um, you know, become intertwined with the natural world rather than using the scientific method and trying to create these abstractions and language and everything else. Um, so religion isn't that. Religion isn't trying to paint a picture or define what objective reality is. It's rather trying to give us a guideline as to what to do with reality um, but it also, it, it helps us kind of establish ourselves in the world and, and helps us kind of find our place and where we fit into everything. It's going to be impossible for me not to impose personal beliefs or personal interpretations when studying scripture, and I don't think anybody has ever successfully done that. Uh, but I want to do as good of a job as possible at exploring maybe different ideas, um, for instance, the idea of God. Um, you know, the Bible, let's, you know, start with the cover, the Holy Bible. Um, you know, so the Bible is the word or the truth, uh, and, and then holy means it's basically a religious text or a religious truth, religious word. So, and religion means that it has something to do with God, right? It's a system of belief uh, centered around a uh, creator or around God, right? So, to understand what God is, you know, I, I think we have to go beyond dogmatism. Growing up, like I said before, uh, with the Christian faith, I, I took a lot of Christian terminology for granted, and 
in my teens, I studied martial arts and was exposed to a lot of Eastern religion. And I think that kind of helped me get a more well-rounded view, uh, delving into Buddhism and Taoism. And in my early 20s, I started listening to a lot of Alan Watts lectures. And he's Alan Watts is basically, if you've never listened to him, he's basically a Hindu. He won't claim that. He's a, you know, he's a philosopher. Um, but his, a lot of his ideas, like, like I said, about, uh, about words being abstractions, you know, things like that. Uh, a lot of that comes from Alan Watts and, uh, God is the same way. So God, God is a word, uh, like Joseph Campbell said, God is a thought or idea, which references something that transcends all thoughts and ideas. But I, I would take it a step further and say that God is a word, which references, the idea that transcends all thoughts and ideas. Using the word tree, it's very easy to to find common ground and to find, and, and that's all we have, that's all objective truth is, is the similarities and the consistencies that we can identify between subjective viewpoints. And it's a lot harder to do that with something like God as opposed to something like a tree. And that's why people don't deny the existence of trees, but they often deny the existence of God. Um, I like Jordan Peterson when early on in his fame, whenever he was asked, do you believe in God? He would always say, well, I don't like the question because that depends on what you mean by God, right? It's like what I mean when I say God probably isn't the same thing that you mean when you say God. So you might be asking if I believe that there's a guy with a white beard and a white robe sitting on top of a cloud, you know, and when you really ask any Christian really in, in the modern world if this is what they believe, it's not. Uh, you know, nobody believes that, that God is like a physical guy sitting on a, well, I, I don't know, maybe Mormons, I don't, I don't know enough about uh, Joseph Smith and, and Jehovah. I know there's some, some weird shit going on there. Uh, but I think I think uh, just diving into scripture is is the best way to approach this. But I, I want you to keep an open mind, and especially if you are an atheist or if you're agnostic, and and don't assume that you know what I mean when I say God. And let's take let's take the scripture at face value, um, not in a dogmatic sense, but you know we have to read into it a little bit. So another thing that I debated was which version of the Bible to use. I've had friends over the years that swear that the King James is the uh, unadulterated word of God and that every other version is a conspiracy to chip away at the divinity of Christ. And then I've had people say that the King James is a conspiracy uh, that was used to put Jesus on a pedestal and chip away at the divinity of the self. And, and those are both very interesting viewpoints. So I don't subscribe to one or the other. I don't think that, that either one is, is the end-all because it's a very poetically written collection of books. And in order to fully appreciate the, post, the poetry that's been translated, it's good to get, to get different perspectives, you know, um, and to get insight from different people. And, and hopefully that's, that's why you're listening to this in the first place. Uh, so diving in, uh, I'm not gonna, I, I prefer the NIV just because it's plain English, but there are going to be times where I might, you know, cross-reference different versions, uh, just because I like some of the phrasing better. And if that's, you know, to suit my needs or to fit my narrative, well, so be it. Hopefully, 
you can get something from this and gain a little insight. The book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Some versions read, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And maybe that's a good starting point uh, because that kind of sparks a little bit of a debate as to whether or not this verse is talking about an interdimensional heaven or the heavens as in the cosmos or the sky. Um, so we'll explore both ideas. Um, but for right now, I want to start out talking about the cosmos and the sky. Let's say God created the heavens and the earth. Um, so we'll start with that. Uh, not many people seem to have an issue with the statement, in the beginning was the heavens and the earth. Uh, assuming, once again, that we're using the word heavens to reference the cosmos and not something metaphysical or interdimensional or spiritual. Uh, we, we will get more into that later. So the problem that atheists seem to have with this verse is the use of the word God and the use of the word created. Uh, you know, if they say, in the beginning, the heavens and earth came to be, uh, you know, it doesn't really describe the process, it doesn't describe how it works or, or what it looks like, whether it was a big bang or, uh, you know, whatever the case may be, um, but to imply that there's a being that called reality into existence uh, is, is where atheists seem to, to have an issue, and I, I had this conversation with my brother-in-law a while back and I said you know let's take this at that face value and pretend that we don't know anything else about God and this is the first time we've ever heard that word um, so all we know so far or, or all that it's uh, claiming so far is that God is the being being that calls being in or the force that calls being into existence and his response was well why does being have to be called into existence but once again I, I think that's that's kind of beating that's kind of semantics um, because religion is a language um, it's it's a worldview it's a way of, of interpreting reality and whether you say in the beginning uh, the heavens and the earth came to be or in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth it's the same thing that you're saying really where nobody's really disagreeing here there's really not a debate it's just I think that atheists just don't like the use of the word God because it's because of what it's been associated with and interpreted as um, by dogmatic uh, believers. And once again, I'm I'm going to tear down a lot of dogmatism uh, with with some of the ideas that I'll be presenting. So uh, let's let's talk for a second about the interdimensional aspect of you know if, if we're going off the King James version of the Bible for instance you know uh, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth uh, so assuming that heaven is uh, is more conceptual or or even metaphysical and you know I, I struggle with the word metaphysical because it seems to me that all it really means is things that we don't understand uh, and that's that's kind of a I don't know. Maybe maybe that's kind of a reductionist uh, explanation of it, um, because as as we observe more and as we name more, um, and we make more predictions, uh, we we seem to to gain understanding of things that were once considered metaphysical phenomenon or spiritual phenomenon. We've reduced to uh, scientific terms, um, but it's the same processes. Uh, and then and then 
that introduces the argument and the idea that maybe you know God is dead, right? That the the Nietzschean idea that uh, the the religious language has more or less expired because we can explain a lot of spiritual uh, phenomenon with psychological language, uh, which is a strong argument. Um, but I don't think that it it fully. I, I don't think that it it fully justifies. Um, making religious language and religious terminology obsolete because it, it still holds a lot of relevance in our lives. And so I guess the first thing uh, to explore is what is meant when it says in the beginning, in the beginning of time, in the beginning of everything, and in the beginning of the earth, uh, or is it the beginning of mankind's ascension to consciousness or to higher consciousness um, for my purposes I typically think of the, the biblical creation story as the story of us it's the story of our evolution uh, to the point of consciousness that that we associate with homo sapiens if you will um, if you said that it's the beginning of time most of what we theorize about time is that it's it's relative and you know it's it's not time and space separately but rather a space-time continuum and they're dependent upon each other and uh, you know the way the light travels uh, affects our perception of time and and that's something that's worth noting too is is that time is relative and that perception is relevant uh, because of that which is why I prefer to think of the beginning as the beginning of us and the beginning of our consciousness and that's not to say that God created the earth at the same time as the beginning of our consciousness, but it's the first thing, I guess, it's the beginning of our story because the beginning of the earth is relevant to us. Um, the one thing that this verse is claiming, I, I suppose, is that, that I find interesting um, because it's, you know, the idea of God is, like I said before, is, is that it's a word and it's an abstraction that references or that points to something um, that it's it's difficult to to find uh, an objective truth uh, in regards to, but we can we can find consistencies or we can identify consistencies across um, across multiple uses of the word God or across multiple people using the word God is that God was present in the beginning. So if God is just a word that's pointing to something, you could say, in a sense, that man created God. Um, but this, this verse seems to indicate that God was present before man created the word God. That, that there's something there that was present. There's an ideal or an idea that was present um, prior to the existence of man. Um, and I, I don't think anybody believes that man existed forever. Uh, so this this idea that the word is referencing, you know, it's like it's like we could we could say that uh, you know rocks, for instance, rocks existed before man. Um, I don't think anybody disputes that, right? So we didn't, of course, have the word for them. We didn't call them rocks. There was an objective truth. There was there was you know obviously different types of minerals. There was you know there was different. Uh, there was earth, you know, that was there ahead of time, but, but that there, if God is a, an idea that's extrapolated from 
our consciousness or from, uh, you know, it's a higher ideal to, to orient ourselves toward or something of that nature, um, you would think that it, it wouldn't have existed before man. Um, let's say for, you know, one definition I like of God is that God is the highest conceivable good, you know, and, and for good to exist before man or for good to exist before what we would say is evil is an interesting thought as well. Um, so I think also another, th another thing that God illustrates, I'm going to get into in the second verse. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then verse two, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So we've established in the first verse, you know, the presence of God, uh, being there prior to, you know, anything else essentially, um, and then for it to say that the earth was formless and empty, you know, what, what does that mean? You know, so, so we would assume that the earth at that point was a sphere. So that's some kind of form, right? And then to say that darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the water said so there's water, you have liquid water, but it's dark. So you would say that there's no sun. And so how can you have liquid water without sun? It would be frozen over, you know? And so this, this is one of the, uh, uh, arguments that, you know, is made against the, the validity of the Bible, the validity of scriptures from a scientific viewpoint. Um, but let's explore that for a second. You know, it, uh, the question, does a tree, if a tree falls in the forest and no one is around to hear it, does it make a sound? Um, I'm, I subscribe to the f school of thought that no, it doesn't, uh, that it does make a vibration, but that sound is dependent upon the ear. And that uh, in order for that vibration to be interpreted as sound, it has to be detected by the eardrum and interpreted by a brain. And it doesn't necessarily have to be human, um, but its its vibration is silent unless there's ears to interpret it. Uh, so you could say that the ear calls sound into being, uh, or the, the consciousness or whatever life calls sound into being. And the same can be said, I believe, about light. Um, that photons absolutely objectively exist. Um, electromagnetism, uh, electromagnetism absolutely exists without consciousness. Um, that's a strong statement, I know, uh, but just understand what I'm saying. For it to say that darkness was over the sur surface of the deep, you know, that darkness is indicating a lack of eyes, not a lack of light. Um, or light being just like sound, you know, there's, there's waves, there's energy, there's things happening, there's heat, there's warmth. Um, but in order for it to be defined as light, you need consciousness, uh, you need to introduce consciousness into the equation. Um, the other thing is to say that the earth was formless, uh, you know, form itself is, I think, has to do more with our perception rather than, uh, rather than objective, um, reality without consciousness you know so when we identify something when we when we see the shape of something we we give it a name and that's what gives it its form um so it's empty because we haven't identified anything we haven't named things and like i said the beginning and this is another reason why i think that in the beginning is referencing the beginning of our journey into consciousness our ascension into consciousness uh because as far as we were concerned it was empty because we weren't uh, to fill it, or to, to fill our ideas, you know, the, the Bible is, is tied to our consciousness, it's tied to our minds more than to the objective world uh, without us. And so the other thing, uh, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. I think it's interesting that it, it 
it talks about waters here because in mythology water is often associated with chaos and with the unknown it's the it's the other world you know um there's a lot of myths and i, I want to focus mostly on the bible and so rather than comparing uh those myths right now but there's a lot of myths that that talk about uh you know the the antagonist deity uh being associated with the seas or with the oceans and uh and there's and the reason for that is is because it's the unknown you know you can stand out look at the ocean and you you don't really know what's going on underneath because it is a, another world and uh the entire world was like that even though our ancestors came from the water uh, you know from the evolutionary perspective uh the waters themselves do represent the unknown they represent chaos so What's, and then it's a deep chaos too. It's the surface of the deep, you know. So everything was unknown to us at that point in in our you know uh, our evolution into multicellular organisms. Um, so what's really cool, I think, about this paragraph is that it says the spirit of God was hovering over the water. So first of all, there's a, a nod toward the necessity of ascension. It was over the water, so we had to. We had to come from the water and we had to come from the chaos to establish ourselves. And in order to do that, we had to orient ourselves towards something that was already transcendent. And that's, I think, profound um, in such a simple paragraph, such simple language. Um, and to say that it was the Spirit of God, what it is that we were orienting ourselves toward, I guess it's time to explore the word spirit a little bit. Um, I, I've told uh, <clears throat> a lot of Christians that I've, I've debated Scripture with or discussed Scripture with to read verses and interchange the word spirit with the phrase pattern of behavior or behavioral pattern. Um, so we could say in the pattern of behavior of God was hovering over the waters. And I, I think that's really interesting because then we have to go further into the definition of God. And so let's say, for instance, that that in this context, that the Spirit of God is referencing the potential, the potentiality of the unknown to be transformed into uh, inhabitable order. And so for our ancestors coming from the ocean, I think that's 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 a kind of hits the nail on the head, you know, um, that that we were trying to establish ourselves uh, biologically in the world, and in order to do that, you have to you have to establish, uh, you know, for instance, we have two hemispheres of our brain. You know, we have to know what our prey is, what our predators are, um, you know, and, and and develop as organisms. And in order to do that, there are there are there's order that's necessary for that to happen and in mythology uh god the father is is the deity of order and and there's a negative um there's a negative side to that the negative attributes of the masculine deity is tyranny um because if you have too much order you know it's you know like government overreach and things of that nature tend to happen and and that's that's tyrannical uh, you know, whereas the feminine uh, deity is often associated with the ocean, uh, and like uh, I, I first heard this to give credit where credit's due, I first heard this from from Jordan Peterson, the Mesopotamia myth of um, of uh, Tiamat, Tiamat, uh, where she was the the goddess, you know, of the sea, and uh, and they called Marduk to go fight her and everything, but but she was associated with chaos and with the unknown, and it took a god that was uh, masculine that had eyes all around his head and that spoke magic words to destroy Tiamat and to build the world out of her parts 
Um, so basically, it's it's about confronting chaos. It's about confronting the unknown and grounding yourself, establishing yourself um, in the midst of that, and and growing society, growing culture, growing things uh, from nature. You know, and so darkness was over the surface of the waters. Uh, you know, we were at an early stage in our, we hadn't evolved eyes yet. We hadn't been able to interpret light. And that was the, the, that's the part of the theory of evolution is that those organisms as, as the warmth from the sun <clears throat> penetrated the surface of the water, those organisms rose closer to the surface. And that was a, a key part of our evolution. But to say that the spirit of God was hovering over that we're establishing something, we're establishing, we're orienting ourselves and establishing that ascension is good and that ascension is is necessary to evolve to a higher state of consciousness. Uh, I'm going to read it one more time just for the sake of it. Uh, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So we've, we've set the stage for our ascension into higher consciousness.